Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. I want to start out with some music. Just take a listen to this. That's the Canadian band Good Kid with No Time to Explain from their latest EP, Good Kid 3. Good Kid are a really interesting band. For one, they've racked up millions of streams online. Thousands of people around the world go to their shows and are, are big fans of the band. But to me, what's most interesting about Good Kid, who are this band from Toronto, is that they're kind of changing the way the music business is done. What I mean by that is, for one, they make their music available to be used in streams and videos, royalty-free. They created a community around their music of mainly people who like their music and play video games. And every single person in the band, every single one of them, is a computer programmer as well as a musician. In fact, one of them is the co-founder of a major AI company in Canada. It's called Cohere. And he was named to the Maclean's Magazine Power List for like his groundbreaking work in artificial intelligence. All that to say, what you're about to hear is not your typical interview with a typical Canadian band. Nick Frost is the lead singer of the band Good Kid. Jacob Safatinos is the guitarist. And they joined me in our studio. Hi. Hi. How's it hey. going? Yeah. Uh, very weird, Nick, to be here with you. Yes, yes. It's uh, not our usual gig. Nick and I play every Sunday. We play Irish music at a bar in the East End. And I had no idea you were in a band. That's definitely not true. I didn't know you were in a band. What? No, you started showing up playing East Clare Irish music. Is that because oh, he's not yeah. good enough? Is no, that no, no, why? No. But you, you <laughs> it didn't kn- help. You've known I've... <laughs> Brutal. This guy couldn't uh, possibly uh, be uh, in a band. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when you first started showing oh, yeah. up to our... We have a little session at, in the East End. And when you first started showing up, I thought you were just a guy who liked to play Irish traditional music. I didn't know you were in oh, a cool... Yeah. A cool Indie rock band. That's true. Yeah, I don't think we talked about it for like a year or something, maybe. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's yeah. nice nice to have you here. Yeah, cool, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having us. Well, uh, and, and I want to get this uh, get this right. So you're all, are you all computer programmers? We're all programmers now, yeah. But you weren't always programmers. Like when you first met, the plan wasn't for all of you to be programmers. When we first met, um, we were all, we met in university uh, for the most part. Um, Which one? In U of T. Mm-hmm. Uh, Three out of the four of us were studying programming. Jacob was not, but then we convinced him to study programming. And David also was not, but then we convinced him also to study programming. Well, hold on. What do you mean convince them to study programming? Converted me. First of all, I didn't even know computer science was like a field. And then when I was in university, I didn't really like what I was studying. I was doing like math and philosophy. Um, but then through meeting the boys, I got exposed to like the fact that they were studying computer science. And I remember it was Michael, our bassist. Um, we were talking one day and he was like, well, if you like logic and you're good at math, but you don't really enjoy like that program, you should try programming. It's kind of like those skills work, but it's more problem solving and having fun like puzzles. Um, and that was really appealing to me. So I just joined in. So does the band come from them? I think the fact that we're all programmers is very relevant to us as a band, both in how we approach songwriting and music 
and also how we approach running the band and the types of stuff uh, that we do for our fans and to stay engaged. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit around the strategy uh, mm-hmm. uh, later on. This is not a this is not a side project as much as I maybe thought it was at one point in my friendship with Nick. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you guys are you guys are doing a lot of touring. You're on the road a lot. H- how's the juggling? It is difficult. Actually, there was a kid yesterday who was at the London show uh, that we played, and he asked us. He's like in, a, in engineering, I think, and he was like, "How do you guys balance?" And honest, the honest answer is just hard. Like prior, it's a lot of prioritization. We keep a very strict cadence like every Tuesday Thursday for the past I don't know eight years we have band practice there's a commitment to the band that you need to have and like sometimes you cancel plans you don't see certain friends or whatever and you just like really prioritize it but it is I'm not gonna lie it's not it's not easy to do two essentially two full-time jobs and show up and play Irish music on the weekends man (laughs) Well, that's that's what always lovely. So that's, easy. <laughs> that's the real work. Uh, let's let's listen to some some good kid. It's a beautiful song. That's Mimi's Delivery Service from Good Kid's last album, um, Good Kid 3. Nick and Jacob from the band are with me in studio. Uh, what's that song about? Uh, that song is about, uh, it's kind of about two things mashed together, which happens a lot uh, when we write. But it was really, it was Jacob who wrote uh, the majority of it. And he wrote it about like really loving somebody and feeling like they don't believe in themselves enough. Then I had to write the lyrics about that. And so it's about that and also Kiki's delivery service, which is a story <laughs> kind of about that. Hold on. What do you mean? So you like the, you, you came to the band with something that you had gone through and... and Yeah. I uh, So I wrote it for my girlfriend named Mimi uh, and she was having like a really rough time and we're all pretty big anime fans. And in my mind, like, anim- I don't know if you've ever watched anime, uh, but anime intros like pump you up. They get you like really hype. That's right. And I was like, I'm going to write an anime intro for my girlfriend. So to get her like, uh, I don't know, to motivate her when she's feeling when she's feeling low. So I wrote the chords and the melodies and stuff. And then I brought it to the band. I was like, guys, uh, or Nick, um, I was like, I want to write this song. This is what I want to write it about. I'm honestly a garbage poet. So I, don't, <laughs> I rarely write lyrics. Um, but the boys are really good at taking that kind of like prodding and inspiration and turning it into like a fully fledged idea. We've done that with a few other songs, yeah. like Down With The King is a song about, I think you referenced it, a song about video games. And um, that was another one example of bringing a song to the band and being like, hey, I wrote this song about this concept. Can we flesh it out? I mean, it's an interesting uh, uh, job for you there, Nick, to have to take your friend's uh, kind of personal story and, and turn it into to words and poetry. Yeah. Um, it's one I think we're doing more and more, to be honest. Um, so I, I write a lot of the lyrics for Good Kid. I don't write all of them. David writes a lot of them too. Um, but they often come from one person having an idea, expressing it to me, and then me working that um, into into something. So there's very few of our songs that I think are, are a, an, ex- a, a, an expression of a single person. They're often the result of like uh, some artistic expression of many people merged together into something. That's a beautiful thing. It's it's not the pattern that I'm used to. The pattern that I'm used to is um, someone goes through something hard, writes a song about it, and vaguely tells the band what it's about. So it's nice to see that in order to do this, you do have to, not to be too touchy-feely CBC here, or, but in order to do this, you do have to kind of open up and share with one another. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think it, it, it does both things. Like one, it, it means that we need to be open with each other and we need to tell each other like what we were trying to express um, and what and if what we got in the end expressed that. And this way, I get to write about other people's emotions. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's pretty, yeah. Yeah. And then we get to hide behind all this. So someone will be like, what's this song about? And you're like, well, I, I don't know. Somebody else brought this. This is about David's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this not, not mine. It's not mine. This is about somebody else's. I'm not a loser in this yeah. story. <laughs> we'll be right back. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, in addition to being uh, programmers and and touring indie rock musicians, also gamers, my, my understanding, all of you guys are big gamers. Yeah. Um, and uh, you guys have been a band for seven or eight years. I know that 2020 was a big year for you. How did your um, How did your music end up in Fortnite, which is the biggest video game in the entire world, still has to be? And what does that do for a band in 2023? I think there was a bunch of people using our music in their compilation videos of their like best Fortnite shots. Uh, I think we just tweeted at some point, what do we have to do to get our music into Fortnite? And at this point, there was enough Fortnite players who were following us that they just retweeted it and responded and responded. And then eventually, someone from Fortnite reached out and said, yeah, sure, we, we can do that. Uh, and that that has led to, I think now three of our songs have been have been in the game. So what what does that do for us? Well, first of all, it's just cool. Like, I think we, we did grow up with video game music soundtracks being important to us like yeah. on our, our, our artistic uh, preferences. Like I remember there's a GameCube's snowboarding game that introduced me to Block Party, I think. Yeah, the, yeah. Tony Hawk was really big yeah, for me growing huge. up and that yeah. kind of thing, for sure. You so know? first of all, it's just cool. Um, but I think it also, it also means that, yeah, now people organically come across it and they like Shazam it from playing. Um, it means that the people who are using us to make videos see it reflected back in the game and like that's really cool for them. I think it just kind of builds on the builds on itself. It's meaningful to the community who has been supporting us. They get to see yeah. that like their support has actually led to something impactful and meaningful. N Nick, uh, I hope you might understand explain this to me um in, in terms that uh, I can understand and folks um who are listening to this who don't have the sort of the the nitty-gritty of like rights and artist rights mm. and music rights um in them. What exactly did you guys do to get your music out there? Can you explain this to me? Number one, when we started getting traction, um, we saw that kids were using our music naturally. And then this is this kind of predates a big event that happened in Twitch um, and streaming in general, which was a bunch of record labels, I think, got together. And they were like, we don't like the fact that someone who's streaming with 50,000 viewers is playing a song and we get paid for one stream. We want to get paid for 50,000 streams. So they started issuing um, something called DMCA takedown notices to Twitch streamers who use copyrighted music in their streams. The reality is that like most of these streamers, like they're kids, they're 15, 16, 17 years old, like... Um, you know, we were saying that they use this in their YouTube videos and some of these videos would get like millions of plays and they're 15 and they're using copyright music and they're not even monetizing it because they're using copyright music. So they don't even care that they're not making that money off that video. It's just like this really organic thing. And so I think when we saw that, um, we were like, we have to 
support this. Like, number one, selfishly from, sorry, number one, we want to support them and like their creative uh, expression. Number two, like selfishly, we thought, you know, why would we not let them use it and show our music to all their fans who are watching them play? And so that one, we just said like, okay, anyone can use our music. And we just flipped a switch that was like, okay, don't, don't issue takedown notices. It goes against conventional wisdom of the, of the, the way the music industry works though, right? To do this? I, yeah, it kind of does. I, like what the consequence of this is, is yeah, anybody can take our music and use it for whatever. And, 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 and you don't get paid. Need, and we don't get paid for it. Yeah. So that's, that means we're, we're trading like some revenue now for hopefully more listens, more exposure later. That's a trade that, that we can make and has worked out for us, but it is, it is something that not everybody's in a position to take advantage of. Right. So that I think traditionally and, and still now the, the advice would be to you know, have, have a content ID on your music, make sure you get paid for streams. Mm. Um, and if you're relying on that revenue as an artist now, like, yeah, that, that's something you, you want to work, you want to keep. But if you have the luxury of saying, eh, we, we can just give it away, people can use it, it does seem to result in more people listening to your music and more people engaging with it, which results in more tickets at shows, more merch, more like a, a bigger a bigger band. In, in, in addition to removing uh, rights and content uh, content ID and payouts, mm-hmm. you've also built a, a, an online community using, mm-hmm. I guess, Discord. Yeah, Discord. I, don't, I don't know yeah. if Reddit, but mainly, mainly, Discord. mainly Discord. Talk to, talk to me a little bit about uh, what, what that's done for you. Yeah. So we started using Discord just to like organize ourselves. We still use Discord as the way of keeping track of what's going on in the band. Um, and then several years ago, maybe 2019, 2000, yeah, we, we made like a Discord for people who were listening to our music. It started off very small and it was just a really fun thing to do. It's like, yeah, we, we make music. Some people like that music. We got to talk to them. You got to go on and chat with them yeah, and they get just, to ask you questions yeah. and hang out. Like how, yeah, it was just really fun for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing that when it was like very small. I remember we started, there's maybe like 50, 50 people or something. Uh, just like our friends. Yeah just, <laughs> yeah. just like people who like the music. Um, but it slowly grew. Um, and then during the pandemic, when everybody was bored and alone, it grew a lot. Um, and now it's turned into a thing that is, uh, it's got a life of it, of its own. Um, there's like a lot of people in there who have found friendships and found little communities. Like they, they host book clubs and movie nights and they also travel to shows together. They'll yeah. like organize like, Hey, we're all going to go to these three shows on a tour and they'll go together. They'll meet up. Yeah. And we've met some like great people and met people who have since become like friends and collaborators. And yeah, yeah. it's been awesome. I mean, I love this so much. I mean, I feel like we're, we're sort of living in a time where on, on the on the day job, or I don't even know what your day job is at this stage, but like the day job part of your lives in, in tech is sort of sort of circumventing some of the norms around our society. I mean, Nick, you know, you've been on CBC Radio before. Mm-hmm. You were on The Current as co-founder of Cohere, which mm-hmm. is, you know, one of the biggest AI companies in, in Canada right now and, and, and globally. Do you see a connection between, does the mindset you have to have to be involved in AI at the level that you are bleed into the band or to the music that you make? Yeah, I I find this in particular with with AI research, um, but also with just programming in general. Like a lot of the times over the years when we've been talking about this, people have said, oh, those are two completely different things like programming and music. But programming feels very artistic to me a lot of the time, especially in research, especially when you're like coming up with new ideas and trying to break conventions and think of the things, think of the assumptions you have made that are incorrect. And like, yeah, it feels very artistic and music feels a lot like math a lot of the time. (laughs) So both of the things are a lot closer together. Um, and, and I think the like study and practice that we have made of 
math and computer science and, and in my case, research impacts, yeah, impacts what we're doing. It, it also impacts our need to do it. Like I really need some artistic expression mm. and I would not be able to have done yeah. like research or, or found a company or, or do that without having the outlet of Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm just playing music. Sundays I'm playing fiddle. Like I like I really need those outlets. Yeah, I, I think I think the idea that these two are, are separate is is sort of an old idea. Yeah. In fact, some of the best folk musicians I know, especially in the U.S. right yeah. now, are, are, are programmers as well and working for big companies. Um, and and I, but I love I love talking to you sort of about a data based strategy for the band too, and I, I find this very interesting. But J- J- Jacob, let me um, close off this way. You know, there's a I, I, you know every now and then I run into kind of young musicians who listen to the show and, you know, uh, looking for some kind of model from from bands who have either done it in a very traditional way or artists who have done it in a very untraditional way. The past couple of years have been a lot of artists coming on to tell me a little bit about the more untraditional way they've uh, they've gotten to where they've gotten. I, I, I do feel like asking you here, um, do, do you, what, would, what would your advice be for people, young artists who are listening to this right now? I would say, I would say try not to fit the mold. Early on in our career, I think we were very confused and a little bit, maybe I shouldn't say this, but a little bit, uh, not spiteful, but like begrudging because I think we had some early online success and we couldn't seem to find a way to reflect that into like the Canadian music industry, for example. And we could have just kind of like kept digging our heels and trying to be like, okay, how do we fit into this music scene? Um, but instead, we just kind of were like, why don't we just do our own thing? Let's not, you know, we don't have to take the traditional band photos and have a traditional band biography and all these things that like we had kind of done it. And then we realized like, it's just not for us. Um, and we just kind of dove more into like ourselves, our interests, writing the music that we want to write. It's a really boring, I think, <laughs> old advice, but just be yourselves. And if you have a good mindset and you try to learn from your mistakes and keep growing, like, I think you'll do great things. It's a, it'd be beautiful to have the two of you in. You ready for my dad joke? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to train an AI to write a good kid song? Uh, no. So I don't use Coheres Tech for writing lyrics, which people have asked about a lot. They're like, why, why don't like our, our technology can can write you know very good language and solve tasks, uh, but I don't use it for writing lyrics, and that's because I'm not interested in writing lyrics faster. Like I don't. I'm not trying to optimize my ability to, to write lyrics. I'm trying to do something human. I'm trying to express. I'm trying to like, in, in many ways, the slower and longer it takes, the more enjoyable it can be. So, so no, I don't use AI for music writing. I love this very much. Thank you both for being here. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Tom. for having us. Don't you notice how
That's Good Kid and from the start. Before that, Nick Frost and Jacob Safatinos of Good Kid were my guests. Their latest EP is called Good Kid 3. Um, the other conversation we have up today is with Tim Meadows. So Tim Meadows, one of the longest serving cast members in Saturday Night Live history. He was on for some like beautiful years, like Mike Myers years, Norm Macdonald years, Will Ferrell years. Um, and he's in this new movie called Dream Scenario with Nicolas Cage. But we talk about a lot more than that movie. In fact, if you're someone who likes good Saturday Night Live stories, good show business stories, Tim has uh, some of the best ones I've ever heard. So go check that out wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.